From the business desk at State Broadcast News, this is the CRE News Hour. I'm Steve Lubetkin. It's Friday, October 18th, 2019, and in this edition of the CRE News Hour, we're presenting a special program. We go long and deep with a complete recording of a panel discussion from liability to asset rethinking commercial property sponsored by the Philadelphia chapter of the Urban Land Institute and recorded on October 11th in Voorhees, Camden County, New Jersey. We'll be back with that panel discussion after these messages from our sponsors. your podcasting passion into profits. The book, The Business of Podcasting, describes the business side of podcasting, including how to become a professional podcaster. You'll learn about positioning your clients' expertise through podcasting, too, plus the best business models, how to find clients, and much more. Visit thebusinessofpodcasting.com. Today, you can't wait for the media to cover your company. You have to be the media. Take advantage of the power of audio and video. It's the best way to showcase your expertise to prospective customers. Let the Lubetkin Media Companies handle the technical side. We're award-winning audio and video producers. We can help you produce podcasts and video programs remotely or in our fully equipped studio in Cherry Hill. Visit beingthemedia.com for more information. Thanks for joining us on the CRE News Hour. We'd just like to make note of a new option on the show page for this episode. You can click on the purple Take the Survey button right below the podcast player and share some information that will help us get to know our audience better. We'd also appreciate your considering financial support for the CRE News Hour by visiting our Patreon link and becoming a show supporter. You can also leave a tip in the tip jar by clicking the blue Quid button right in the middle of the podcast episode page. And if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the CRE News Hour, write to me at steve at statebroadcastnews.com and we'll send you the rate card for advertising and commercials. And now we'll get to our special feature for this week's program. This is the Urban Land Institute of Philadelphia program recorded on October 11th in Voorhees, New Jersey, not far from where we produce the CRE News Hour. The program was From Liability to Asset, Rethinking Commercial Property, and the panelists dealt with some of the commercial real estate challenges facing some of the towns in South Jersey. The panelists for this program are Kelly Andrus, the founder and president of Sage Life, which develops continuing care retirement communities. Paul Medaney, the mayor of Deptford Township, where the Deptford Mall is being challenged by other retail developments like outlet stores in other jurisdictions right over the borderline. And Mike Mignona, the mayor of Voorhees Township. Voorhees is where this program was held in the Voorhees Town Hall complex in what used to be the Echelon Mall and is now called the Voorhees Town Center, a struggling retail property and 
One of the things that Mayor Magnona will talk about is the challenges in getting this redeveloped. Chris Ressa is the last of the panelists. He's the executive vice president and chief operating officer of DLC Management Corp., which has just signed an agreement to take over ownership of the Voorhees Town Center Echelon Mall Complex uh, with plans to do a value-add retail redevelopment. Moderating the program is Susan Bass-Levin. She is the president and CEO of the Cooper Foundation, which is the philanthropic arm of the Cooper Health System, which is headquartered in Camden, New Jersey. And Susan Bass-Levin is the former mayor of Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is a town adjacent to Voorhees, where this program was recorded. So now let's go to the lectern and hear the introduction of the speakers by Susan Bass-Levin. What a perfect topic, actually, to bring together municipal leaders and business and real estate leaders. Uh, because although sometimes maybe it doesn't seem that way, we really do all share the same goals. And I've been on both sides of this equation. But when you look at a piece of property in a community, it can be a liability or it can be an asset. As a municipal leader, you want it to be an asset. As a developer, engineer, real estate leader, you want to take those opportunities uh, and make sure that you can work with the municipality to make something happen. Uh, you know, when I first started as mayor, which I won't even tell you the year, but when I first started as mayor, people wanted more residential development, less commercial development. Then a few years later, they wanted more commercial development, less residential development. They didn't want kids in the school. They forgot that they had kids, I guess. That changed every few years as to sort of what was in vogue in a particular community, um, what the cost would be of development as people started to realize that nothing in this world came free. Um, but I've been involved with many of you in this room on this whole process of turning a liability into an asset. Uh, as Angela said, we've worked together on several very old schools in Camden, schools that go back to the early 1900s, schools that only had bathrooms on one floor, for example. And we have work together to totally do an interior gut rehab of the school while preserving the historic exterior of the school. Any of you who've been involved in rehab projects know that that is not easy. Every time you touch a wall, you find a brand new surprise. Um, but you have turned a liability into an asset. Uh, in Voorhees, with uh, frankly the support of the mayor and the Voorhees administration, we've worked on this complex, the business, the office complex around here, to turn the buildings into into assets for medical office buildings. And right now, Andy Bush and I are working on a project on Route 70, the old Lockheed Martin Travelers Insurance, you know, we still call buildings by names that they had 30, 40 years ago, uh, to totally rehab that building, add on a new uh, portion of the building, and have a brand new medical office building. None of these projects are easy. You know that. It's easier to build new. I have learned that. And so today we're going to talk about how we together make these things work. We have four great panelists. Uh, Kelly Andrus, the founder and president of Sage Life. 
Mayor Paul Medaney, the mayor of Deptford Township, Mayor Mike McNona, the mayor of Voorhees Township, and Chris Ressa, the executive vice president and chief operating officer of DLC Management Corporation. So I'm gonna ask each of the panelists in sort of a lightning round to give a few minutes of introduction about themselves and then identify one opportunity and one obstacle that they have faced, which will sort of get us into our conversation. We'll then have some panel discussion from here with some questions and then open it up to you. So be thinking about how you wanna stump our panelists. Um, we will um, start with Kelly. Uh, whatever's easier for you. Trials and tribulations of being first. You have to make all the big decisions. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Kelly Andrus. I am president um, and founder of Sage Life, uh, formerly Sage Senior Living, before seniors decided they didn't want to be seniors. And uh, there's just a couple of things that I've already noticed um, coming from Wallingford, Swarthmore, in um, outside of Philadelphia. Um, I live in Delco. And so this morning, I've already been called. They already said I was from Southern Jersey, so I don't know if that's going to fly on the video. And the second thing is I'm very comfortable here because I was born in 1966 in Southern California. And so I'm very comfortable in malls. And um, I was not a Valley girl, but I sure as hell wanted to be. Um, so with that said, uh, I started building um, assisted living and um, before we even had memory care communities. In 1989, I built the first uh, 20 of the first 23 sunrises, which you may know we created the, uh, the mansion um, that came to personify what assisted living is. Um, I did that for four or five years. Then um, I built the first nine Brightview communities for them, had five more under development. Then we decided to start Sage Life, my husband and I do it for ourselves. So I've developed senior housing from Florida to Maine. Currently Sage Life has, we have 10 communities. Um, out, we have 800 associates. We're expected to double in the next uh, four years given what we have under development right now um, and what's in zoning. We have half a million, uh, half a billion dollars in assets and growing to a billion dollars in assets under management um, in the next four years. One of the things that's interesting about our industry is that capital is flocking to our industry, cap rates are dropping, um, and although we might be near the top of this cycle, um, the demographics are chasing us. So, you know, that's why I'm here. Who is my tenant? Who is my resident? My resident, uh, the most important thing about us is our resident is who our resident is. Our resident is 70 to 105 years of age. We are not homogenous little old ladies. We are, uh, we represent 30% um, of the global spending um, is controlled by people 60 and over right now. Um, we are predominantly women, and women control two-thirds of all consumer spending. The world needs to get used to gray hair and middle-aged and older people. Uh, Middle-income seniors are expected to double from 7.94 million in 2014 to 14 million in 2029. So who am I, my resident? I walk, I shop, I travel, I buy gifts. 
I send handwritten cards and I send money in the mail. I don't accrue debt, I go to church, I pay taxes, and I vote. I have conservative family values, but not necessarily conservative um, politically. I am pro-technology, but I'm not technology native, so don't talk down to me. I probably have as many iPhones in my pocket as you do, I just might not be able to remember the passcode. <laughs> um, I'm resilient. And I don't suffer fools. I've had enough BS shoveled to me over the years. I don't accept it anymore, and I see it coming towards me. Um, I have, on average, my resident, my resident pays on average between $3,000 a month and $12,000 a month in rent. Um, and I have uh, between, uh, with a, within a reasonable standard deviation, between $500,000 and $2.5 million in assets. Some people think I'm sexy consumer <laughs> with those demographics. Um, in my communities, I wrote off $22,000 in bad debt last year in uncollectible rents. So what is the opportunity for me? I live in my hometown, I wanna stay. My resident wants to stay in my community. I want to stay near my kids. I was having a drink. Yes, I drink. Um, so do my residents, including at Sage Senior Living most, or at Sage Life, most communities you get two drinks included in your rent. Um, and that's per day. Um, and that's because I'm not a, I'm not a hypocrite. <laughs> so I was sitting at um, our bar drinking a glass of wine with one of our residents and just opened a community, Malvern, um, Echo Lake, it's a lovely um, 250 apartment, independent assisted living and memory care community. Um, and she said, I, my residents asked me why I live here. And she said, because I live in a cruise ship that never leaves my grandkids. And that's why I am a proud, um, and, and that combined with my California mall days, um, that's why I have sought out redevelopment at malls because I want to reinvigorate the corner of Maine and Maine. Um, so I think that there's a significant alignment as was just outlined between malls and government and community. What these redevelopment opportunities offer us um, is transportation often. Um, my residents um, come from wealthy neighborhoods, which often don't have good transportation networks, so I have d difficulty getting my associates to and from my communities. So one of the greatest opportunities <clears throat> in these redevelopment opportunities is, my, is, is the transportation networks that the communities that offer. Another, what I offer as an opportunity to um, some of the folks with whom I would like to do business and redevelop is that I have a low parking count. I need about one parking space per 900 square feet, but I want it designated to me. Our biggest threats in these redevelopment opportunity is vision. Vision from the government, vision from the developers, vision from the co-tenants. 
Our threat is the inability to put in the hard work to untangle what I call the entanglements and the lease and the lease provisions that mall owners must suffer through. If I want to be close to the mall and close to the retail because I walk places, my residents don't want to drive. The parking, the dedicated parking issues become outsized. If I'm in an out parcel, the issue there is I need to walk to where I want to go. So our biggest threat is the disentanglement of, of these lease terms um, that you all live under as mall developers. Thank you. Thanks, Kelly. Uh, now we have uh, two mayors who know a lot about malls here. Uh, and I'm going to first call on Mayor Mike McNona, who is the uh, mayor of Voorhees. Thank you, Susan. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I also drank <laughs> uh, a little bit about myself. I grew up in Camden, uh, moved to Voorhees in 1985. Uh, privileged to be the mayor now for 15 years. Uh, if you take a look up there at that picture, you'll get a good idea what happens when you're a mayor for 15 years. I wish I still look like that, but I don't. Um, I am here to talk about the very site that you are at today, the Echelon Mall slash Voorhees Town Center. Susan mentioned uh, opportunity versus obstacles, and this uh, is a perfect example of both. This was a former airfield that in 1970, uh, the Rouse Company built this very echelon mall. Early on, it, was, uh, it thrived at five anchors. It was 1.1 million square feet of retail, second only to the Cherry Hill Mall. Um, it had a movie theater, it had a tavern, uh, it had Sears, Boscov's, uh, Macy's, again, five anchors. Unfortunately, in the in, at Strawbridge's, yes, and in, in the 2000s, the business started to decline for a lot of different reasons. Three of the anchors left, Macy's and Boscov's were kind of left behind. Um, in 2003, Ralph sold this site to the Pennsylvania Real Estate Investment Trust, many of you know pre. Um, at that same time, they paid $15 million for it. That same year, we declared it an area in need of redevelopment to help them move forward and help them make the, pro the, the, pro the process successful. After many different options, uh, including bringing in a Walmart, which for some reason the residents went crazy over, um, they decided through public meetings and input from the, the local government and from the residents to come up with the idea of a town center a mixed residential and commercial use uh, with a restaurant row. So we approved 425 units that are full right now. Uh, they took down about half of the mall proper uh, to make it uh, more compact. And they built what is the most successful portion of all this, which is the restaurant row. Uh, if you haven't enjoyed the restaurant row, please enjoy it because there's some cool bars and restaurants there. Um, in 2011, uh, to help increase foot traffic, we actually moved our town hall here. Some thought we were crazy, maybe we were. Uh, we were the third in the country to make such a move. 
uh, in hopes again of bringing foot traffic here to the town center. Um, we broke ground in 2007. The town center, at least the restaurant and residential portion thrived. Unfortunately, the, re the retail portion continued to struggle. The goal was to make this town center the downtown that Voorhees never had. Voorhees has always been a township of developments. There was never a downtown. The goal, and the goal still is, to make this the downtown, as, as I, I like to call it, the heartbeat of our community. We've done our part in helping generate that by bringing many, many events here. Our, our Halloween festival, our uh, beer garden, of, uh, a uh, farmer's market, our, our holiday parade, um, movies in the park, drive-in movies. Um, and again, while the restaurant and the residential have thrived, the mall proper continued to struggle. In 2017, Preet sold the property to a company called Namdar. In the 12 years that Preet owned this property, they invested $15 million in the property. Namdar bought the property for $9 million in 2015. We met with Namdar and they were, we were very excited about a partnership with Namdar and um, unfortunately they were less and have been less than a proactive partner with the township. Uh, forcing us to take some steps to encourage them uh, to do some things. Uh, we passed an ordinance that gave us the ability to take it by eminent domain if need be. That got their attention. We passed a, um, uh, we, we declared it a business, a, a BID, a, a business improvement district, which gave us the uh, opportunity to impose a separate tax because in our mind, they weren't uh, making necessary repairs and improvements. Uh, that got their attention. Um, why has this particular site not been successful uh, from a retail portion? Well, there's a lot of theories. The, the most popular theory is online shopping. Uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know. Another theory is the fact that this mall is now almost 50 years old. Perhaps that's the reason. My theory is, and I was discussing it with a couple people earlier, is that this particular site is landlocked. Nobody would ever build a mall or a shopping center in this location. Uh, they are only built on major highways these days. So at this point, we are now under a redevelopment agreement with a company uh, that wants to come in and wants to give it a facelift and is very excited about the opportunity to, to make it the heartbeat of our community again. Uh, they have partial approval uh, for 180 townhomes. Uh, they want to make the food court uh, through a concessionaire's license, sort of a brew pub Xfinity Live kind of atmosphere, which is a great idea. Uh, and they have many, many different retailers that they, they believe are, are looking forward to coming in. Um, what are we doing to work with them? Well, one of the things that used to be a taboo, but is not a taboo anymore, is called a pilot. I know you're all familiar with a pilot. Uh, the township has seriously considered a pilot to, to help encourage them to come in here. We've extended the redevelopment zone to give them more options here. Um, clearly, uh, the heartbeat of our community uh, is on life support. 
So we're doing whatever we can to encourage them to be successful and to continue to get more people here. So this site, again, has been both an opportunity and an obstacle, but we're going to continue to work with this developer. Uh, and if any of you are interested in coming on over here, please let me know or let my colleague Mario DiNatale know because he's, he's been working very hard to help make this place successful. So thank you for coming and thank you for choosing Voorhees as a site of this. You know, I think one of the, Mike made a lot of great points, but one interesting one is, is the nature of a pilot. In the years that I was mayor, uh, we would never have considered a pilot. The residents were opposed to it. They didn't really understand it, but they were opposed to it. Uh, and it just became too difficult to sell. And so even though that might be considered as a really great incentive, it was one that we just took off the table immediately. So Chuck Kahn, who's been the mayor for the past eight years and came in with the mission and mandate to redevelop a lot of the old commercial properties, immediately set about saying, we're going to give pilots. We're going to make it attractive so that people come here. Because it's not just about the fact what happens today. You have to think about they're not paying taxes now, so something's better than nothing. That's how most of us live our, live our lives. And if we look forward, then we have a solution to a problem. But it's, you know, from your developer perspective, you think, oh, well, this is simple. Of course you would do it. But from a municipal perspective, you have residents who are saying to you, no, 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 no. So it takes some time to build consensus. And I think that's kind of probably where you all are at now. Um, and so with that, we're going to bring up Mayor uh, Paul Medaney, who's the mayor of Deptford Township, and he also knows a lot about malls, right? Thanks, Mike, it's good to meet you. So good morning, everybody. First, I want to thank ULI for inviting me and us to be here. It's a great opportunity. So um, Mike mentioned his picture up there. I gave him an old picture, so you can't see what mayorship did to me. So, uh, and also, we, we had a conference call before this just to give us all and call the speakers an idea of what we were in for. And um, I told Mike, the, the mayor of Voorhees here, that you know, in Deford, we consider ourselves geniuses because of how well our mall is doing. But in reality, it's the location of the mall. We're not geniuses. It's, we're very fortunate to, um, to have the, the highway system, just the solid location, 10 minutes from Philly, et cetera. And um, so that's why the Deferent Mall does so well. But anyway, uh, myself, I've been the mayor for 13 years on council for 19 years on the planning board for 20 years. So uh, I've, I've seen a lot of change come to Deferent Township. I grew up there. I was born in Deferent. And I remember when the mall wasn't there, we used to play there. And uh, the mafia used to dump their, well, whatever. Um, we won't get it. So uh, anyway, um, but Deford has certainly changed from, from a community from when we were kids to what it is now. And we're, we're basically a retail-based economy. And uh, Amazon was mentioned, which it's going to be mentioned again. Uh, online shopping is our nemesis. We're, we're hoping in Deford Township that folks aren't going to want to order food into their house, order a movie off Netflix. Um, play video games and just sit in their living room the rest of their life. Our, our goal is to, uh, I think the governor uh, Christie said, to get the hell off the beach. Well, we want people to get the hell out of their homes and go shop and dine and, and come to maybe this, like a town center or come to a different mall and shop at one of the restaurants. So um, one of our goals in Deford is to build the mall area up with diff different uses. 
We, we have great dining over there. Uh, thank God we had some liquor licenses available, which is always a problem in the state of New Jersey. And it's still a problem in Defer, but we have major chains that moved in. We got a great variety of dining there. We've concentrated on bringing entertainment uses around there. We have uh, things like a trampoline park. We have a new movie theater being planned, etc. Um, the mall is under renovation. Uh, uh, Sears closed. And, you know, when, when places close, too, everybody uh, doesn't realize that that's a big loss of jobs for folks, too. Sears employed a lot of people, but, you know, thank God the mall and Mesa Rich and, and their partners are, are uh, renovating that, and we're very excited about it. It can never happen quick enough. We were just talking about how long construction takes, etc. but uh, we're going to have some good uses moving into the mall. So we're also concentrating on branching out from retail, like I said, with entertainment, but also medical uses. We had we attracted Nemours to Defer Township, which is a world-class hospital. It's down the street from the mall. Uh, Inspira has planning board approval. I know uh, I met some folks from Cooper here. You're always welcome to come to Defer Township and open up an urgent care or whatever. Um, some things fascinate me, too, as a mayor. Defer Township has 32,000 people, 18 square miles. I just told you about our location. We have one urgent care in Defer Township. I, I, I don't understand some of the market dynamics that go on. And, uh, and we're surrounded by 11 towns. So there's a population area around us that, that demands medical services. And like I have to go to the uh, doctors in Woodbury. It, it, some things just don't make sense to me. So anyway, um, some of the things about the mall too, uh, we concentrate on safety at the mall. We, we all have to know that it's safe to come and shop there. We have 70 uh, officers on our police force now. When Back in the day, uh, I, I remember when I was a kid, Defert was patrolled by the state, state police, believe it or not. And uh, that, well, I'm now I'm aging myself despite that picture. But um, anyway, so yeah, so now we've grown to 70 cops. We got a police substation in the mall. We have license plate readers. We have, uh, we work with mall security. We meet with them on a monthly basis to, uh, you know, ensure the safety of our shoppers and our residents coming there. And, and so far, it's been very successful. And we need, we all need that reputation of being safe and secure. So um, we're also on the, and I mentioned I was on the planning board for 20 years. What we're trying to do in Defer is plan for the future. Planning, you know, I'm the most impatient person in the world. I want everything to get built yesterday. But I also realized that uh, some folks mentioned that, that there's different dynamics at work. Sometimes the, the, the new thing is, is you know, malls. Malls were built up, and some of them, uh, you know, weren't built in the correct places. Um, they're in the papers, how they're closing, et cetera, et cetera. But we're trying to plan for the future and try to predict what's going to happen in 5, 10, 15, and even 20 years from now, which is impossible to do with, with a lot of the um, things that work here, but that's what we try to do. We make pretend. We, we make up scenarios uh, and, and we try to forecast the future and, you know, see what's going to happen. So um, I do want to speak on this too before I uh, sit down. There's, there's issues that we all work with here. And in Defer Township, what we try to do is we, we try to pride ourselves on being business friendly. Mike spoke about that. Uh, all the towns, if you're smart, you want to do that. You want you want businesses to know that they can come to Defer Township, go to the construction office, get a permit. The folks are going to be friendly there. They're going to help you. They're not going to be adversarial. They want you to come to Defer Township and work through the process. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but it's not an adversarial relationship. We, we build relationships, and that's what we're aiming to do with, with not only the folks who are building the places, 
but the developers and the engineers and the architects and everyone who comes in ask questions, what do you guys have, what can you do for us, et cetera. What we can do for you is make that process easier. What happens in the state of New Jersey, they do everything they can seemingly to make it hard. You know, all the agencies, DEP, EPA, um, you know, all of them, they all got good folks working there, but the entanglements that you got to go through uh, just to get things built and done and and land swaps and uh, God, just the just the uh, the awful stuff that you have to live through. Our mall right now, PSCNG, and I don't know if any folks are here from PSCNG, and if you are, talk to me after the meeting. But they're trying to get. A, I think it's a transformer, and they've been working on this for months. And things like that shouldn't happen. It shouldn't be that hard to entangle, un unentangle some of these things. Uh, NJDOT, we, Route 47 runs right through the center of Defer Township. We got six state highways that border Defer Township, either run through it or, or skirt Defer Township. Route 47 is a wreck. Um, it has to get paid. They started talking to us over three years ago, and they're still in the planning stages. That that doesn't make sense. It can't be that hard to mill and pave a road. And look, I, I'm not negating it. There's engineers in the room here. I know there's storm there's stormwater issues. There's you know there's a lot of things that go into it. But come on, like really, we have to we have to get things moving, and we all have to work. And especially local officials, um, you know, everything moves up, county freeholders, state assemblymen, state senators, et cetera. But, you know, the, the, the budget mess in the state of New Jersey affects every one of us in this room. And they can't cut money loose to help economic development while they're struggling with health uh, costs pension costs, which are out of control. We're buried here in the state of New Jersey, and we need to keep pushing to fix that. Unless this budget problem gets fixed, all of us are going to suffer for it. It translates right down to this level where there's no dollars left for things like fixing roads, economic development, future planning, etc. We're not even thinking about it. I mean, the, the, the state senators are up there every day. They're banging their heads against the wall trying to fix, fix a budget mess instead of concentrating on bringing folks to New Jersey and making them want to stay here. That's the goal. So thank you, and thank you for the opportunity. So we have two business-friendly mayors who've identified in a very short period of time lots and lots of obstacles. People like to shop online. I mean, my daughter, who was a teenager, you couldn't pull her away from the mall, right? Um, I go to her, her house, and it's just box after box after box. That's how she shops. Or location, the traffic. Being on a major highway is great, but then there's too much traffic. And but. It is critical to all of us in New Jersey who live with our cars to be able to get someplace quickly and easily. Uh, the question of security, whether you're in the city or the suburbs, that's going to impact your decision making. And to be sure, government regulation at every level impacts what we do. But one of the key words I think you heard both of them say is relationships, and we'll probably get more into that. But I think having good communication with municipal and county and state officials and have them understand what it is you're trying to do is really critical to success. Which is going to bring us to the opening statement of our, our fourth panelist, Chris Ressa, who is the Executive VP and CEO of DLC Management Corporation. Chris? So I just want to thank everyone for ha having me. I 
have a little less gray hair, but I do have a bald spot that's coming in right here, and sooner or later, I'm gonna have to shave my head. So, uh, I work for uh, DLC Management. We own and operate about 18 and a half million square feet. It's over 90 shopping centers from, call it Minnesota to Texas to Florida to Maine. We have offices in New York, DC, Chicago, Atlanta, Dallas, and Buffalo. We're in the value-add real estate game. Uh, we own open-air retail, so strip centers, some very large, some small, and we are in value-add, so we buy things that have we see opportunity in um, and that we can add value, like a, a property like this all over the country. So, you know, I'll, I'll comment in on a couple of things some of the other panelists said. So, personally, uh, I... I think we have to get away from online shopping is the enemy. So today, 85% of all retail sales still happen in a brick and mortar store. Um, I'm a brick and mortar retail landlord. I think online shopping, you have to embrace it. And the retailers that do are successful. Today, majority of retailers who open a store in a market, their online sales grow in that market. When they close a store in a market, their online sales decline. The rumor I've heard is Saks closed the store in the Mall of America and they lost 80% of their online sales in the state of Minnesota. Uh, we, we had a deal with a national retailer that got nuked in Chicago. And then six months later, they came back to the table and they said, we've done a million studies. When we open a store in a market, our online sales grow. When we close a store in a market, our online sales um, uh, go away. So e-commerce is here to stay. The ones that are innovative, I met with a grocery store recently that uh, is working with smart, uh, smart fridges. So they partnered with Watson. So you're gonna be able to go and look at your phone and your fridge will tell you, you have these three ingredients. Based on this, you can cook these four recipes. If you go to the nearest, whatever it is, Acme, Giant, ShopRite, and buy these four ingredients, here's 10 more recipes you can buy. That's where the world is going. So as a landlord, you have to be ready and prepared for that. And so I think that's a good thing for us. The fighting of e-commerce, you will lose. You have to embrace it and make your shopping center a mobile-friendly shopping center and an e-commerce-friendly shopping center. One of the biggest trends today that's, I think, helping retailers is buy online, pick up in store, BOPIS, or click and collect. 85% of shoppers who use BOPIS spend more money in the store when they go to pick it up than their purchase was online. So I think, you know, so who's being successful today? I, I can't think of one retailer, and I would challenge anybody to tell me one retailer who lost because of online shopping, who went bankrupt because of online shopping. They lost because of fundamentals. They lost because they had bad balance sheets, poor debt. They lost because they didn't innovate. They lost because they had poor leadership. They didn't have operational excellence. Very few retailers lost because you could sell online. That's what's helped some retailers. Additionally, over 50% of online shopping is done through Amazon.com. 
So if you are in a fight, it's not online shopping versus brick and mortar. It's all retail versus Amazon. That's the reality today. And so, and, and what has Amazon done well, right? The three things I think that if you do well in today's environment, you will succeed. They provide a value proposition to the consumer. They are convenient and they provide a good experience. And so for, for, for some consumers, convenience has a cost. They don't want to pay for that or they can't afford to pay for that. Others are willing to spend as much money as possible to make things convenient. Everybody's looking for a value. And today's day and age, as millennials and Gen Z continue to grow, they're looking for something experiential. So the retailers that provide a value, are experiential, and are convenient, are winning today. And you look at the off-price retailers in TJX and Burlington, and you know the likes of Starbucks and these in these tenants. Um, they're the ones that are succeeding today. So. From an opportunity standpoint, I actually, one of the biggest opportunities I see is, so the entanglement of these leases, what Kathy was talking about is I have a lease with Walmart and Walmart says I can't build multifamily or medical. To me, that's an opportunity. It's allowed me to monetize things that other developers have not been able to. Uh, one of my partners calls me the CWO, the Chief Waiver Officer. At any point in time, whether it's for senior living or something else, we're going to retailers and using our relationships to get waivers to allow those uses to come in our center. We've built healthcare facilities. We need them for trampoline parks like we did in Deptford, New Jersey. We need, you know, for fitness facilities and sometimes restaurants, office buildings. So to me, that's an opportunity. Um, um, the biggest uh, threat today is construction costs. That is our biggest challenge. And no matter how compressed cap rates go, no matter how high of rent we get, it's seemingly that construction costs continue to outpace. And so it's becoming a, a huge challenge to, you know, I, I would argue, yes, it's landlocked here. The biggest challenge here is the investment thesis. The, the amount you can collect in rent versus what it costs to get that rent is in a lot of places unprofitable. And so that's the biggest threat that I see today. So my time is up. I see the red card. Thank you. So I think that was sort of a perfect summary of what went on. I know that I shop online and then I return in the store. But I always buy more when I return. So I guess I fit the pattern here. <laughs> um, take a couple questions. If you have questions, I'm going to start. But if there are others, I will go from there. Um, I want to sort of talk a little bit more about um, first from the mayors and then from the two people in real estate. How can we, from a local perspective, improve communications so that we have a better, more thoughtful regional planning process? Uh, and from the developer side, I'd like you to sort of also add in, what have you seen in other places? You, you work outside of South Jersey. What have you seen in other places that works? Uh, so, Mayor, we'll start with you. Well, regional planning, if, if I can focus on that, that's a big topic with me. And we, we, I've, I've been talking about this for years. And an example is, and I don't know if this is a great analogy, but it is for us in Deffer because it affected us. 
So the Defert Mall is a huge retail area. Everybody knows the Defert Mall. Um, right down the street on 42, they decided to build outlets. And that never made sense to me on a regional planning uh, uh, thing because if you're, if, why are you hurting one of the biggest retail centers in South Jersey and building an outlet a mile down the street? And one of the uh, reasons for that, and here's another um, issue that I have, we don't like to call problems, we like to call them issues at Denver. And uh, so it's, it's tax abatements and pilots. Someone mentioned pilots. But there's also tax abatements still alive in the state of New Jersey. And what that, all that does is that pits neighbors against neighbors. If my neighbor is offering a tax abatement, where is that business going to go? It's going to go to my neighbor. Um, thankfully, Defert's location dictates that even with tax abatements, there's still developers and folks who want to move to Defert Township and open up their business. But we've lost businesses to tax abatements and, and what I call poor regional planning. So that's a, that's a great topic that has to continually be explored. Thanks. Mike? Yeah, I agree with the mayor that um, there, there needs to be regional planning. Uh, we've all heard the theory that high tide raises all ships. Uh, I hope that's true. Uh, we're fortunate here in Borghese to have a very good relationship with the County of Camden. In fact, right across the hall is the Camden County Improvement Authority that we work very closely with. Uh, so yeah, there's a dichotomy as to uh, uh, if, if one business affects another. We in Borghese are very fortunate to have many different hospitals uh, here in Borghese. Um, uh, if you drive down a major highway, you'll see Wawa's popping up everywhere and Royal Farms popping up everywhere. Uh, they're much more smarter than we are in marketing, so there must be a reason that they're building right near each other. But um, obviously regional planning is very important and we're, we're very, again, very, very fortunate to have a great relationship with the county. Um, the state's a little, a little not detached, but um, detached. Our, yeah, detached. Uh, one of our, I'm not a mayor anymore. One of our biggest, uh, one of our biggest. And I'm going to use the word challenge. Paul is um, is the state highways that run through our towns, and Route 73 happens to run through Borghese. Uh, so, getting anything done from a traffic perspective uh, is a nightmare and takes a long time. But um, um, we work, we work through. So Chris, what have you seen other places that we don't have here? I, you know, I think this- Or we could do better here. So this is a, in, in my opinion, this is a challenge that's not unique to New Jersey. This is a challenge that's everywhere. I mean, I, I think that, you, I think the first thing you said was the communication. What can we do in communication? I think the, Having having a line to someone who actually can make a decision in the in the municipality is critical. You know, I, I'm often the largest taxpayer in any town that I'm in, and it takes me forever to get to somebody in most places that like can say, "All right, here's here's what you need to do, and here's how to do it, and here's how you do it fast." And so, and it's it's mind-boggling to me. And you know, I think municipalities one of the things they could do is that doesn't cost them anything is help with some of those non-municipal approvals so what what paul mentioned before in the transformer that's not unique to new jersey i am having a significant challenge in getting power and utilities to sites all over the country uh, 
you know, utility companies are overworked, they're outmanned and undergunned. I can't get a guy to the site to find an electric, to find an electric conduit to put in a transformer anywhere. And so if municipalities could help with things like that, we could get open faster because they deal with them more than I do because I'm only there for the one time I'm building that thing and I need to talk to this electric company, whereas they're gonna deal with them forever. And so that's one of the things I think they can do because utilities, and no matter what asset class you are, office, industrial, multifamily, utilities are a challenge nationwide right now. And, you know, and the utility companies are being restrictive on how much capacity they give you. So, it, you know, I have a lease that requires me to deliver 1,200 amps of service and the utility company is like, well, you could get 800. And so I'm obligated by this lease that I just signed and I have this utility company who's, you know, because they only have so much capacity to give you power. So the utilities are a big problem. And so I, I went on a tangent, but to the extent that municipalities could help with things that like that, that are one-time events for landlords where and developers where we're not gonna deal with you know, potentially BSEG nearly as much as the community will. And so how does the how does the municipality build a relationship with PSEG so it doesn't take me six months to get a transformer and electric to the space? So before I go to Kelly, I'm just wondering if either of our mayors have a thought or response or a solution. I don't know, but that's why this is good because that's a that's a great point. We we try to develop relationships. One of the issues is you build a relationship and then the person leaves. Oh. Yeah. So, um, but but like with PSENG, yeah, we had a we had a person there at PSENG for years. He left last year, and that's that's why we can't pick up the phone. Yeah. And and do that. But great point. I mean, we should be. I should be concentrating on that as a matter. I think I do, but you know that's why I'm here to hear things like that. Right. I agree. Uh, we are as mayor of the first line of fire. Yeah. We're the easiest to get a hold of, we're the easiest to call when your power goes out, uh, when there's uh, an accident on the highway, when your, God forbid, your, your TV, your cable goes out. Especially in the middle of an evil game. So we have established a very good relationship with the utility companies. Uh, I have cell phone numbers, uh, our chief of police has cell phone numbers. So it's very important because, as I like to say, that's the quality of life that people care about. You know, they want their TV to be on, they want their, their, their streets plow. Um, so it's the quality of life, but those relationships are very important. So do either of your towns have economic development officers or you know, a we job? Do. Yeah, yeah definitely. I sit right over there and marry the town. They, they are uh, our deputy mayor and he's done a great job in, in economic development and community relationships. Uh, we, uh, um, in spite of the obstacle that this site has presented, uh, because I find that those people uh, are, are often, they do much more than just whatever their job description might be. Well, They're almost like the ombudsman. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I was talking quantity. You know, that, that things like, because I, I know this firsthand, the, the utility issue, you know, that's often a good place to start because they are more likely than almost anybody else in town hall to have that relationship or be able to figure out how to get one. I've also found that the chief of police gets the attention to it. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Yes, that's definitely true. That's definitely true. If I may. Yeah. I knew when there was mayors. <laughs> 
just going to be a problem. Yeah. No. So there is a regional planning entity in every area, and only in from Pennsylvania north is it ignored, and that's called your county. And I am, I've developed all over the country. Um, I built a seven-story high-rise in Wallingford, Swarthmore. The county voted against my project three times and nobody cared. The county, um, the county in areas in the rest of the world is the one that does the regional planting. There are regional schools, so they are concerned. They're not these tiny little individual school boards who have to fight for the outlet because the schools are funded locally in some jurisdictions. So the issue is, is the small township structure is inherently pits one township against the other. And so if you were to go to Maryland or you were to go to Virginia, I don't know what goes on in Delaware, it's you just kind of just drive through it, but um, you in, in, in Virginia and Maryland and other states, you have to, you go through the local planning people and then you go through the county planning people. Um, and they are the ones that are concerned about the region. I don't understand the township structure. I have now lived in it for 15 years. I still don't understand its super um, uh, importance, its outsized importance relative to the county. Well, with 565 towns, I don't think we're going to change that anytime soon. So I'm a, a shopping center developer. I develop in both Pennsylvania and New Jersey. But what I find is I can get a project done approval-wise and time-wise about half the time in Pennsylvania that I can in New Jersey. And one of the big problems is in Jersey, the, the county has an outsized function, a little different from Earth. In Virginia and Maryland, the county grants your approvals here as township. But in New Jersey, you have to go through the county for your roads and stuff, so it's like a whole other layer that I've had projects delayed for six, eight, nine months trying to get the county on board. Um, and then the other thing with the liquor license. The liquor license, one of the things that's really helpful in Pennsylvania, it's still a township by township model. Um, and I know New Jersey tried to change it, but you can move licenses within the county from township to township. If New Jersey could do something like that, it would free up you know, the little hole-in-the-wall bar in Camden that can't make it anymore, and it could go to Cherry Hill, or it could go to, you know, Morristown instead of, I mean, Morristown sold liquor licenses for a million dollars. Yeah, that's a great idea, because especially if you look at some of the smaller towns, the older, smaller towns, there, the number of liquor licenses that they have is totally out of proportion to what they're actually going to use them for. So, we, so a, a restaurant guy comes in and he says, I can develop in Virginia, which I can go pull a license over the counter and spend a hundred bucks. Or I go to Pennsylvania, you know, it cost me 300000 Or I go to New Jersey, you know, Morgan's would probably sell for seven fifty. Morgan or Cherry Hill, a million dollars. Well, that just comes right off the rent. I mean, it just comes So that, that, I, that's the difference that I see, and, and DOT is much harder. Yes, we, we've had some dealings. You know, I, I think that the state agencies just get harder and harder. Um, and it's a, you sort of think about it and you think, well, it was really hard 15 years ago. How can it be harder? But somehow it, each project incrementally just 
seems to get tougher, Excuse or at least that? longer. And part of it, one second, yeah, I'm going to yeah. go to you. Part of it is that the number of employees in these departments has been cut dramatically. So they literally do not have enough people to do the work. DOT, the number of engineers, is, is a fraction of what they once had. So you have a big project they have to review, and they literally don't have the people power well, to do it. And DOT charged it for yeah. project down in Turnersville. I did a, it's a Lena Langford project that we had approved. I did one in Pennsylvania. I got it approved in Pennsylvania in half the time. My traffic engineering was a third of the cost, and I didn't have to pay New Jersey DOT $200,000 yeah. for the dollar. Yeah, we're doing that now, too. There, Paul? Yeah, there's, there's a world out there, that, and you brought up the point. We both mayors talked about we kind of pride ourselves on being business friendly. I've been on the planning board for 20 years and every approval what I have to do is um, uh, preliminary and final planning board approval. You got it. Anything you need from us, you got it. And then I have to caveat it with all the outside agency approvals. And that's when all hell breaks loose. Yeah. It's, it's the county. It's the state. It's, it's you know, we've approved projects years ago that, that are still going through county road approvals and, and state whatever, DEP and EPA problems. Yeah, so it's a, it's a big deal. And liquor licenses, I can't agree with you more. I, I mentioned here that we're fortunate to have, we, we could use more at the mall. Our liquor licenses, and, and I'm not sure, and my township clerk is here today, and uh, she handles all those headaches, but um, liquor licenses in Deford are going for well over a million dollars. Yeah. So the lobbyists up in Trenton are going, well, wait a minute. You know, I just spent a million point two for a liquor license, and now you're going to let, you know, Joe's whatever uh, bar have a liquor license in Deford Township? No, no, no. So it's, it's, it's that battle. We work on that all the time up in Trenton. I know I do, trying to get legislative fixes to this stuff. Even things like we have a new movie theater being planned. Let that movie theater have a liquor license. Let folks in California, they drink in there. You know, you limit the amount of drinks or whatever, but why not do stuff like that here? The Bowling out. Some movies you just need a drink, you know? Yeah. I One know. of the things... So there's what? a lot of drinking going on around this place. <laughs> it's, not just the, it's not just the time, which obviously is valuable. It's the frictional cost to do that, right? Expediters, land use attorneys, engineers, and they're just billing hours and billing hours. And you start to get to a point where you call mercy and you say, you know what, this isn't profitable anymore. Yeah, I can remember walking into a room of professionals, you know, the township professionals, the developers professionals, and I'm thinking, you know, this is like a million dollar minute kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I, I'm gonna start with Kelly on this one. Um, and Kelly, if you could just talk about what it is that makes you choose a new site. What, what's attractive to you, and also what are the obstacles that you look at? We have a pretty specific um, demographic. Um, we're looking for median home values between within 17 minute drive time of 350 to $500,000. So we're in fairly upscale markets. Um, in, we will consider the impact of density on those medians um, so that we can drop the median a bit if it's a very dense area. Um, we look for good infrastructure. Um, we look for um, stable um, uh, utilities. 
Um, for instance, you know, with the TV goes out or, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with older people, you know, I got to keep the lights on literally. Um, and increasingly, I'm, I'm access to workforce. I talked early on about the transportation networks um, because very often the highest network, uh, the highest net worth neighborhoods don't have good transportation for the workforce. And I need about uh, 0.8. Uh, workers per resident so um, I you know I need a good I need a good workforce transportation system okay thanks Chris um, so we're investment thesis driven so the, the, the we a lot of you know we're contrarian a lot of our, my peers are focused on the top 20 MSAs which essentially is the coast Boston and Miami uh, Seattle, San Diego, Chicago, Texas. We like those markets, but we're looking for the opportunity where that it's underleased, undermanaged. Um, we are, you know, our minimum threshold investment is $30 million. So that limits a lot of places for us. And, and so we're a nationwide platform because if I were to look in any one market, call it Philly or Pittsburgh or Atlanta, I could sit around and look for something that was broke but could be fixed. It for you know and over thirty million dollars, I could you know five years never find an opportunity, uh, and so that's why we have an infrastructure nationwide. So we get into after the investment thesis, we get into the uh, the demographics and the infrastructure and things that Kathy just said. But the first thing that's driving the bus for us is the investment thesis. Can is there a you know is it is it a, a value and a price point that we want to invest in and then is it a um is it is it broken and do we see a path that can it be fixed and it could be something of mixed use nature where it's it's you know senior housing with retail it could be a multifamily it could be purely retail um but we have to you know sit around a table and think through that there is a path there and that's what drives the bus inside so much. Well, both of you are very helpful. So we're at a point now, we're gonna take our Q&A. So if there are questions from the audience. Barbara. Thank you. Uh, you always told I was too noisy. Um, but how we how we get the public to appreciate the nuance that experience has taught all of you, but the public doesn't see it. You know, um, in terms of development projects generally. Correct. Right? Correct. I mean, uh, an example. I was solicitor here in Voorhees when the state zone was supposed to come in. And the absolute public outcry against that project um, was, it was crazy. Um, and it was very easy for the negativity to come out in sound bites, very hard to explain um, the positive of that project um, to the folks. And it's, it, it's a continuous, and that was 20, 22 years ago. So, um, you know, that hasn't changed. And what are your suggestions on how to do that so that you know the retail center or the, the senior living or someone saying I don't want more people in my community. How do we how do we shape public opinion to, to take that aspect out of it? 
Um, one of the things that I've done in, in my years as mayor, when a developer comes in, the first thing that I strongly suggest to them is that they meet with the residents that are directly affected first and work through the issues and work through the potential problems uh, so that when the project comes to a public hearing, they already know the issues, they already know the neighbors, they already know the residents, they already know the problems. Uh, we're fortunate to have a half a billion dollar project on Route 73, the virtual medical campus that, that has been an economic boom for that area. When Virtua, Virtua initially came, I made that suggestion to them and they spent a lot of time and effort in meeting with residents and, and changing plans to the point where when Virtua came in for their uh, approvals, in one night, in one night on a half a billion dollar project, they got preliminary and final approval. So I think it's important to, for developers to, as, as unpleasant as it might be initially, uh, I'd rather have a conversation with a, with a concerned resident one-on-one -on -one than in a, public, in a public forum. There's, um, there's, I think there's two separate issues here, pilots and public opinion. The, the public opinion on pilots is simply, I pay taxes, why are you not letting them pay taxes? You're, you're masonrants. There's people in Denver Township who still swear to this day that the mall doesn't pay taxes from a rumor started years ago. And when in fact they pay over $5 million a year in property taxes. So, um, so it's a challenge. Look, the general public, it, they deal on emotions, not facts. And, you know, so it's our job as mayors to try to put the facts out there. Yeah, we do the same thing. Get, get folks who are coming in to, to meet if we anticipate a problem. Thankfully, in Dufferin, we don't have a lot of problems. Uh, the last one we had was when Walmarts came in. And Walmarts, are, that's, there you go again. There were very emotional issues because of the connotation. You either love them or hate them. Most of the planning board and zoning board issues we have in Denver are little neighborhood problems. Like, you know, if that Wawa opens up next to my neighborhood, what are the lights going to do? And I'm going to hear the trash trucks, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's education. When you unlock that secret, let me know because it's, it's just very difficult to, look, let's face it, most, most folks, um, you know, residents of, of towns, what they want to do is they rely on us to govern the town. This isn't a democracy, it's a representative republic. Everybody has a mistaken notion here. So they elect us to make these decisions. If they have faith in us on how the town is being run, that, that quells a lot of these issues. If they don't have faith in us, then that's when you see these rooms fill up with disgruntled citizens. So, you know, that's a, it's a constant battle going back and forth. So, Kelly, typically one would think senior communities would be welcomed by already existing residents. You find that to be true? One would think. Uh, no. <laughs> well, they're, they're better than some things. Um, I was in northern Jersey on Tuesday night and um, taking uh, trying to take an old semi-industrial park and turn it into a lovely new community. Um, wanted to put, you know, 175 assisted independent and uh, memory care residents there. And because of the process, as soon as there was a discussion about area need of redevelopment, because it's an area in need of redevelopment, even though it's in a very wealthy township, there's a confusion there. Um, even though we said we are not going to ask for a pilot, as soon as someone stood up and said, as soon as you give them this, they're going to get a pilot, 
they don't have to ask for it. So now you're proving a negative that isn't true. Um, and you know, in wealthy neighborhoods, the residents stood up and she said, "We're you know we're plenty funded. We don't need any more tax base. We're wealthy enough." And everybody in the room clapped. And the mayor said, "Next." Yeah. You know, so it's it takes. When, when we go and sit in front of those houses, and we do sit in those houses, if you want a pilot, you have to talk to them about pilots. What they go in, so many developers go in and talk about all the benefits of this and that, and they don't want to talk about the pilot. And then it gets a, it's a, becomes a surprise later, and all heck breaks loose. So if you're going to encourage that, encourage them to talk about the whole project, not just what the neighbors want to yeah, hear. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. If there's one thing residents don't like, well, probably most of us don't like, it's a surprise. Uh, I used to say to my team, you know, they if you don't tell them the story thinking that they won't find out and they won't get upset, it's only a matter of when they get upset. Do they get upset at the beginning or do they get upset at the end? But they're going to get upset. Chris? So I, I would answer that question, I think, a little contrarian from the mayors here I would I think the key is you have to remove uh, the pronoun they and so what I mean by that the what and what you suggested was the, the developer you know start to build a relationship with the community and talk to the community we're not politicians it's just we're real estate guys right and so I, we had a we have a property in Texas that's I have a lot of acres and we run a highest and best use study and comes back multifamily is best in the community wants only single family housing no multifamily and so um, and you know mayor's not going to support us because the community's public outcry and they're like this is how you get it done you have to build this community board and go to the high school gym and do we're not politicians we're real estate guys and so if that's the effort and the what you have to put the developer through it makes it uninvestable i think the burden needs to shift to the municipality to take the word they out you're driving down the street well that assumes the municipality wants it sure you take the you take you take you're driving down the street and you say they put a starbucks there you have to remove they. The municipality has to start to put a face to those people, to the community. It's no different than a relationship, right? You don't trust a person right away. Bob says, you gotta, you gotta talk to Joe. Joe's a great guy. The municipality has to be, you know, our sponsor and to the community, not us diving in and meeting with them and running a town hall and them going in with this scrutiny that there's some rich real estate guy that wants to do this and they don't care about us. So you remove the word they by taking the municipality sponsoring the developer who's going to take on this initiative. That's my opinion. And so, because I hear, I hear, I get from the, the, the local politicians all over the country, you have to go and meet with the people and do this and get your, understand their issues right away so that you can then address them. And that's how it's done and that's why things are slow and don't happen. Well, it's a good point. I think, you know, you have to look at each project. There are gonna be projects that the township supports uh, informally. Obviously, they can't support it until there's a you know planning board uh, 
application and approval. Um, sometimes the uh, ed economic development liaisons set up the meetings. What we often did is we would set up meetings with people in the neighborhood who were the community leaders, uh, so small groups and they would get a briefing and our economic development people would be there. But sometimes the municipality doesn't support it, so they sort of leave you to dangle. I'm sure you felt that. Yeah, yeah but you know, I would think most developers in general, if they can't even start with getting the few people in, if they're getting a hard no, like you're out of your mind, not happening, I, it, it, most times, Unless it's so lucrative that it's crazy, it stops there and they move on to the next. It's it, that I think that's the exception, not the rule. I think the rule is like the municipality thinks, okay, this makes sense. We understand the economics of this, the benefits. You're going to make money, the town's going to be better. And then they get to the public outcry about some lights of the Wawa, and it's like, and I have to be politician. I'm not a politician. Well, we're getting the sign. This will be the end, but. Uh, I do think you make a good point, and I I heard over and over again from developers throughout my career. If it's going to be a no, just tell me that. You know, just be clear to me from the beginning, or if it's you don't figure it out till the middle. But don't sort of string me along when you are the politician. You know the community, and you know it's never going to happen. Now that's not an easy thing to say because you know there is a process. There's a planning board, governing body, blah blah blah. But. You know, that's certainly a point well worth noting. We've come to the end of our time. I see Angelo giving me the eye and the little signs going up. So a very special thank you to our panelists. I think you've shared a lot of great information and uh, to ULI for sponsoring. Our thanks to Laura Slutsky, the executive director of the ULI Philadelphia chapter for helping us set up this recording. And that'll do it for this week's edition of the CRE News Hour. Don't forget to check out our audience survey by clicking on the purple Take the Survey button below the podcast player on the show page for this episode. And please consider becoming a financial supporter of our podcast by clicking the Patreon button. If you have comments about our program or a story idea that you'd like to see us cover, send me an email. The address is steve at statebroadcastnews.com. You can also leave us an audio comment by using the voicemail feature on the right sidebar of our website at statebroadcastnews.com. For everyone at the CRE News Hour and State Broadcast News, this is Steve Lubetkin. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you out there on the net. Take good care. <laughs>